So God did not just magic us into being. Remember that from last week? That everything else seems to be in the created order of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and then into Genesis 3. Uh, Steve uh, reminded us and taught us so well that like for the beginning, God is like breathing, sparking things into existence. But then when it comes to humanity, we are made in the image and likeness of God. That It seems that God actually gets down into the dirt, into the Adam, into the, the, the muck and creates, puts his image in humankind. And this was... Um, like Steve said, would have been familiar to Israelite neighbors, Hebrew neighbors at the time is that, yeah, sure. The gods are up and away that the, the leaders, the Kings, the rulers are the ones who bear the divine image. And yet the story of Israel and the story of the beginning mm. of Genesis and the beginning point for this series is that no, like look around friends, you bear the divine image. You bear the image of God. Wherever you are at watching online, whether on a couch, a chair, a kitchen table, uh, on the way to the gym, wherever, you bear the divine image. But how easily we can get trapped, tangled, caught up in this web of like, do I really, like, how does that work? And then you fast forward to the time of Jesus and exactly that is the truth. The tangled web of religion has skewed the relationship of the image of God in the, the Jewish followers of Jesus at the time, part of the Jewish construct of religion. So much so that they had kind of abandoned using the name for God, Yahweh, and they'd replaced it with more of a formal sense of like, sir, you who is over there. And in terms of your relationship with God, that was always most often, I would say, brokered by the religious establishment. So you learned about God in synagogue, in church. You offered your prayers to God through sacrifice, through what you needed to atone for. And then your language with God came through the priests, the leaders, the religious authorities. And so your relationship, personal relationship with God, your image of God was of a distant judge. Do you remember that from last week? And then Jesus, the brilliance of Jesus in Matthew six comes in. And what does he say when he's asked, like, how should we do this? He says in Matthew six, when you pray, hold on here. We're supposed to pray. Oh my goodness. When you pray, do not yammer, babble, crap and squawk on like the religious authorities do. And don't babble on like the pagans who just love to hear themselves speak. Or I tell you, that's their only reward. Instead, when you pray, go where? Your to your closet and talk to who? To your father. To your father, to your Abba to your parent, to your mother, to your caregiver and pray like this, our father in heaven, holy is your name. You're separate, you're distinct, and yet you're here. We want what you want here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today what we need, not more, not less. We do depend on you. We rely on you for things and help us to own it, be conscious of it, share it. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins for what we've done wrong, because this is a relationship. It's not just a transaction. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have done the same. Again, Steve so brilliantly pointed out that we're never permitted to climb into the, th the throne, the chair of judgment, right? So it's an, it's an equal relationship with other image bearers. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Help us God with our 
messy appetites of how we get caught up in the ways and methodologies of the world that does not bring to full bear the image that you've planted, built, laid over us. For yours is the kingdom, power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Which is a later addition to this text that the earliest church fathers like, this is so powerful of a reminder of the image of God in us. Like, holy smokes, we should add a real crescendo to the, to the end of Jesus prayer. And that's what we're doing here through the series tonight is adding a crescendo to how we're learning about what it means to be whole. And that's what this series about is about, is about being whole, that a lot of us struggle with our own sense of spiritual Gnosticism. That like, yeah, if we think the right way or believe the right things, it'll make us into the right people. And that's only partially true. God made us in this physical encasement with our appetites, with our, our, our longings, with our desires, with our bodily behaviors, with how we understand God to be. And by virtue of that, how we understand each other to be. And then tonight, what it means to be a relational community. So who is this wonderful person to my left? This is Jenny. Everybody say hi, Jenny. She gives leadership. Hey, she gives leadership, uh, partial leadership uh, in tandem with uh, Eric to our Oakville location. And I am so. Oh, this is not an announcement. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Quincy, you got to your our, job. Yeah. yeah. It's too many, too many vowels clumped it's together. To our, it's the other O. The other the O. Ottawa <laughs> location. My commute took way too it's long. It's true. It was yeah. a long distance travel. Yeah. To, to our Ottawa location and is such a gifted thinker and also has so much ability um, and insight and uh, gifting in the area of spiritual direction and formation. So I am so excited for us to hear from her. Can I pray for you? and then over to you. Okay. Jesus, thank you for the gift that it is to be in community, even as far as Ottawa, uh, and the gift that it is to to learn from, with, and for each other. We thank you for the series about how you are discipling us into wholeness. And we pray that you would remind us of what it means to be relationally bound, connected to, and loving towards each other. May we hear your voice and your spirits leading tonight. In Jesus' name, together we all said, Amen. 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 Something you probably don't know or probably don't assume because you're wonderful people is that I was a very spiteful kid, especially when I was a young kid. I was just spiteful is the best word I can think of. Contrite, wanting to push all the boundaries. Poor my parents. My mom really, really dug in with boundaries. She was very steady, very steadfast. And I've, in retrospect, learned a lot about God through her in that very young season of my life, but I was very, um, I wanted to be in control. I'm a second born. So you can probably guess where some of that's coming from. I was, you know, not first on the scene in my sibling order. And then I have two younger siblings and we're all fairly close in in age. So I was like an older middle child, if that makes sense. Um, who nominate self-elected as a co-eldest. So my other siblings endured that. Um, in this season of like trying to find who I was and, and mostly I think trying to acquire power, I was really mean to my sister who was the next born after me. And she, beautiful soul that God made, is so tenderhearted naturally. She is the kind of kid that um, if she needed disciplining, which was rare because she just wanted to do the right thing, which I didn't relate to, um, but my mom would give her maybe a stern look and that would be enough. To which I was like, really? Like, that's it? Come on. I remember times when my mom was um, disciplining me, appropriate to whatever the thing was. And I remember choosing to not mind 
because I didn't want to be disciplined. I didn't want to be um, controlled. I didn't want to be told what to do. So obviously I've grown a long way from that, but you can maybe talk to my closer relationships to find out. Uh, when I went to kindergarten, my mom had her first parent-teacher interview and partway through she said, I'm sorry, are there two Jennifers in this class? Because my school life and my behavior was so different from my home life. I was a goody two-shoes. I was like attentive, obedient, quiet. And it was a mystery to my mom. But I think what I was trying to figure out was how am I, um, how am I becoming whole? At home, I wanted to become whole through power. At school, I wanted to become whole through achievement and excellence. And None of these things are terrible, but they can't be your core guiding principle. Um, and so at one point, my mom just felt like she told me this uh, when I was an adult. So, you know, sometime in the past two decades. But she said at one point, she just felt a little bit at the end of her rope. It had been a long day and she didn't know what to do. And so she called in the big guns and she brought God to the table. And she said, I'm giving you this notebook, this very notebook that I have with me still. Not all the time. I brought it today, especially. And she had me write out a Bible verse, which sounds kind of formal, but something in there pierced to my heart. I thought, oh, this instruction, this, this command to not be mean to my sister isn't just from my parents, it's from God. And that held a bit of weight for almost seven-year-old me. So I'm gonna read you the verse in my little kid handwriting. Sunday, August 1st, 1993, I loved a good date. <laughs> Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one and their, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4.32. I forgot a couple of letters in there, but I think you got the gist. Ephesians 4.32. And there's a, I'm saying illustration in my mind and then thinking, is it? But there's a drawing here of me giving my sister a candy with a, you have a candy picture. And she says, gee, thanks. I've got straight hair. She's got curly hair. So pretty accurate, but this is my... This is my mom's effort with a contrite child at the end of her rope. And there's a few more verses in there. And then a whole bunch of clubs I made up that all say boss Jenny. So that just lets you know where that went. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> burn this later. Um, so Ephesians 4.32, this is the first verse that I remember memorizing. And I have never forgotten it. I have spent my life with this verse wafting in and out of my consciousness. But every time it comes up, I have a visceral memory of being a kid and my mom teaching me that it was so important to value others. It was so, I was in a community of siblings and it wasn't good for me or for my sister or for anybody else if I was unkind to her. And so I needed to learn to be tenderhearted and compassionate. And so as we're talking about being whole, um, what I wanna highlight today, not want to, what I will is that being whole means being relational. God is relational, we know that. He's the father, son, Holy Spirit, parent, child, present with us version of self. And in that relationality, which continues to perplex me, certainly, um, I just know that it exists. When we are isolated, that's not how we're designed to be. When we are alone, that's not how we're designed to be. We're designed to be in relationship. And so that, of course, means in relationship with God, but also in relationship with each other. And so as I've been thinking about what being whole means, as we've got on our slides. Um, it doesn't just mean being individually whole. It also means being communally whole. And that's where I really want to lean in today. 
I think sometimes when we talk about being whole, we think about just me, myself, and I. Am I balanced? Do I feel good in my body, my mind, my soul? And Laura's speaking, I think next week, um, about head, hands, heart. And I'm really excited to hear about that. But that isn't the full story, being individuals that are each whole. But we need to think about how are we as the body of Christ being whole? And as I was thinking about that analogy of body, of course, we know the passages that talk about some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the ligaments, eyelashes, ear parts. I don't remember all the names, lobe, nostril, whatever you want to be, glamorous parts, unglamorous parts. Um, this really stood out to me in the passage that I was reading that in the passage that I've been reading through. And so I'm going to read for you um, the lead up to Ephesians 4.32. So I'm going to read Ephesians 4.17 to 32, which says the following. I'm a big fan of analog. So paper, you might hear the rustle, but as you can tell, I've been writing stuff down for since at least 1993. So Ephesians 4.17 NIV. So I tell you this, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I don't need to read that guy. Got it right here in my notebook. Um, as I looked at this, something that stood out to me that I haven't noticed before is how much community is infused into this passage. I think my default when I read the Bible is to apply it to me and my life and not to we and our life. And so in this, I was looking at, I'm going to start with the last half verses 25 and on. It talks, there's kind of a formula as I looked at it and looked at it and I have different ways that I kind of highlight. I love some colors. You can see there's a lot going on on my analog sheets. Um, but they're, they're sort of rose to the surface, this clarity of relational need. And then with each of these, there's an unhealthy approach and some of them give, an, give a healthy approach, but then 
they also highlight for the community. As you have these relational needs, as you're approaching them, either healthily or unhealthily, don't forget the community. Don't just try and do it for yourself. Don't just do it for your own holisticness, um, your own wholeness. But what about the community? And so the first one, verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Um, falsehood. I thought, what's the, what's the need that caught, like, why would people, let's just use the word lie. It's a little more current. We don't just say no falsehooding. Um, at least that's not what I'm teaching my three-year-olds. Um, in that I think comes like a desire to present well, or to be seen a certain way or to, um, maybe you're uncomfortable with who you really are. And so you're putting a false front forward and there's a lie in that. But this verse highlights clearly not to do that, but speak truthfully to your neighbor. It could just say, speak truthfully and end the verse there. That's a good principle. Speak truthfully. But what it says is speak truthfully to your neighbor. And then it even says, for we are all members of one body. The next one talks about, um, I'll jump down to 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Um, I think some of this, like what would cause me to steal for some people, it's acting out for some people, it's needing to fill a need, but it's suggesting that if people, that if everybody's working and doing something useful, whether that's helping somebody else or offering something that everybody will have something to share with those in need. And I think the implication there is that then there won't be those in need. I know this could go on in a totally different tangent, but if the whole world shared well, I don't think we would have needs, but I will leave that giant tangent aside and feel free to talk about that more at home church. If you want to go that route, add it into the questions. Um, it talks about don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what's helpful for building others up. Sometimes it just feels good. Seems like not correct wording, but when you're, when you're talking about somebody and it's a bit like on the gossipy, you're putting someone down train. I think that when I've done that, it's to make myself feel better about myself. I have to push somebody down to feel better about myself, which is a false dichotomy. I don't need to do that. God has given us all deep and eternal value, but it doesn't just say, don't do that. And it doesn't just say, only say what is helpful. It follows that up with according to their needs, assuming there are people around you that need to hear from you. They need you to say these good things to them that it may benefit those who listen. So now it's also you and another person in relationship or you in a community and also people around that listening in. It's becoming um, evangelical or witness or representing the life that Jesus desires for us. So I was thinking about that. And then in another book, I came across some fun words, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. You might have heard these before. I'm sure we've used them in the meeting house, but orthodoxy is the idea of right belief. And so in this passage, there is information that helps the church in Ephesus have beliefs that are right, that are true. Um, and then orthopraxy is right practice, living out those right beliefs in action. We talked about this a little bit in the wisdom series. Um, Quincy mentioned talking about the Proverbs idea that we don't just hold wisdom. Is it wisdom if we're just clinging onto it internally and not living it out? And no, the answer is it needs to be lived in our body, in our physicality, in our interactions. Um, and I came across a third word on the next slide that I hadn't come across in the places I'd seen orthodoxy and ortho orthopraxy before, orthopathy. 
I kept thinking about orthodontics. So if you're there, I get it. But maybe just take a moment, acknowledge braces, and then come on back. Orthopathy is right experience. I see the word experience. And as somebody who didn't grow up in a very charismatic, leaning church, part of me is like, what does that, that's very open. What does that mean? And part of me feels like it's blooming because this is a way, this is a topic that the Holy Spirit is very much bringing into my life in all different directions all the time. And so I need to pay attention to that. Um, But as I was thinking about the gap between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, we've talked in the past about how we can have a lot of right beliefs, but we don't always live them out. And sometimes that's called the hypocrisy gap where you know a lot, but if you're not living out everything, you know, sometimes it might be worth pausing on the learning just to get that living portion up to make sense. I think sometimes this sounds superbly ironic because I'm literally sharing information right now. But if I stopped receiving any information about Christianity and just read through over and over what I've been exposed to in this beautiful faith, I would have a lifetime of orthopraxy to work on. And so part of what we do is we keep teaching because we want to keep reminding ourselves of what we know, but we also want to be careful that we don't only listen and forget to act. And then in that struggle to to bridge my beliefs into actions, into practice, um, this orthopathy felt like a missing link, a breath of fresh air in this idea that in those beliefs, it's not just a matter of, you know, I'm thinking of three different idioms at once and they're, they're blending and I don't think they're making any sense. But like this idea of like just working really hard, nose to the grind, is that an expression? Somebody said yes. Okay, internet, fact checked. Um, It's not about just trying so hard and working so hard. And we know scriptures that talk about that. It's not just work, work, work. Um, But it is intentionality and it is effort. But this idea of experience reminded me that as we, I'll use the example of God's love because that's elemental. Um, We can believe that God loves us. But if we don't actually experience God's love, it's pretty hard to live it out. It's like giving from something that's dry, like water from a stone or a dried well, just digging and digging. But it's, if you're not, if it's not being sourced, nothing will come out. And so we need to experience wholeness for us to be able to live that out. And as I was thinking about how we experience that, it became so clear to me that that must be community. We can't do this by ourselves. And that experience, as we each experience what God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit has for us, we are going to bring very different things to the table. There will be a lot of overlap and there will be a lot of diversity. And that excites me. So I took these ideas and I looked at verses 20 to 24. Um, and I just thought I highlighted the parts that, that felt like orthodoxy, orthopathy, orthodoxy, orthopathy, because 25 to 32, all of those action ideas is to me the orthopraxy, the right practice, living it out. So verses um, 20 talks about, that's not the way of life you learned. Orthodoxy is something you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught, another clue to orthodoxy. Um, Verse 22 again talks about, you were taught to put off your old self. And then in verse 23, it talks about being made new, putting on your new self. To me, that is orthopathy. You are experiencing what it's like to be a new creation at the grace of God, at the offering of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and God, the father parent. 
So in all of that, um, I believe that there's a slide that says, I believe that being whole means being in relationship. Um, and I hope that you're understanding the subtext here is this is deeply infused in Jesus. This is not just an affirmation card. If I can say that, like, these are not just the simple line behind this is being in relationship with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with each other, with our scriptures, with our Bibles, reading regularly, making time for, for just making space and quiet to listen. Um, and that is the orthodoxy part. I believe that. However, if I stop there, I'm not whole. I'm not experiencing the wholeness that God has designed for us and wants for us deeply. Um, orthopathy, that second line, I experience wholeness through relationship. The orthopathy of wholeness, I believe, needs to come through relationship. And again, that's with God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and each other, because we are each um, image bearers of that individually and reflecting different parts of God, different giftings, different um, insights, different perspectives. And then together, we are also the image of God as a whole group. Because imagine, um, I only have one kid, so it's a bad analogy. Okay, I'm one of four kids, so that helps. I have parts of my face look like my mom, parts of my face look like my dad, parts of my sister look like my dad, parts of my sister look like my mom, but we don't look exactly the same, although we always wished we did, maybe in another life. Um, but all of that reflects collectively our parents. We collectively are the image of God, singular, as we are individually. And then lastly, the orthopraxy, I really have to make sure I'm saying the right word every time, um, means you don't just stop with that experience, that good feeling of being whole. We need to step out and share that and live it. And so I chose the verb contribute. I contribute to others' wholeness. I look around and I think, who are the relationships in my life that God has given me? And how do I, and this is where it can be so diverse, so much variety. And the verses 25 to 32, which talk about not lying and speaking truthfully, not stealing, working, benefiting the community. Sometimes um, some, some people read that like a list. Don't do this, do that, black and white, black and white, easy. Check, check, check. And sometimes when I read that as a list, I think, oh, brawling, boom. I never brawl, no problem, nailing it. Uh, except when I played rugby, actually. So maybe I should pause on that. Um, what else in there do I not do? <laughs> Taking me a while to find it. That's risky. No. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about slander. I'm not 100% sure the exact definition of slander, but I've probably done that. Um, anyway, the idea that just sometimes reading it as a list, you can kind of approach it like, check this, check that. And then you give yourself a passing grade or like maybe an 82%, pretty good. 51%, all right, maybe bring it up to a 70, work a little harder. Um, but I read this as, here are some examples of right practice. Here are some examples of orthopraxy. Go forth and discern what that needs to look like in your life. Because I think we all know the Holy Spirit tells us, um, and sometimes they have to be louder and louder depending on our sensitivity. Um, but they like we know when we need to confess or when we are doing something that is not contributing to the group wholeness, not lifting others up. Um, and then we have to dis decide, okay, maybe we could, we could go to therapy and find out what's the need behind that, which I've done. Some of it is very fascinating. 
Um, and sometimes you'll know, and sometimes you might not know. And finding out the why has some benefit, but at the end of the day, it needs to move from beyond that figuring out to living it out. And so I encourage you to think about, and I don't know if this is in the home church questions, I forget, but if you're thinking about something in your life, think of what might a verse for your circumstance be? Like it might be a light example might be don't doom scroll forever and ever, but instead send an encouraging email to the person you feel jealous of for the purpose of lifting them up and being joyful. That could be, who knows? There are going to be endless, endless analogies, I'm sure, but I encourage you to think about that. Um, something funny about this passage is that it doesn't end at the end of chapter four. It's got two sneaky little verses that snuck into chapter five. Um, there's so much interesting nuance in how the passages of the Bible are broken up. But in this one, um, it ends with what I thought it ended with for a long time was Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And when I read that over and over in different seasons of life, um, as Jimmy was sharing about the Lord's prayer and Steve shared last week, we forgive, God gives us so much forgiveness. And so we can forgive because we've been forgiven. And so I've been thinking about the expression, hurt people, hurt people. And I just kept thinking, forgiven people, forgive people, mm -hmm. because you have that experience, that belief. I think we share that belief. That's part of why we're here. But then you have that experience and then you can, you have fuel for that practice, for that orthopraxy. And then moving into the next passage, um, Chapter five, verses one and two say, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself, himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To me, that is like the zoom out. It's the same message, but just zooming out even bigger. God's like, just in case you don't get it, mm -hmm. Paul, can you just, can you just be so clear for every single circumstance? walk in the way of love because you have been loved. And as I read this with the lens of all those orthos, follow God's example, orthopraxy, live out that right practice as dearly loved children, orthopathy, your experience is that you are dearly loved and walk in the way of love, orthopraxy again, a command to live it out, to be tangible with it. Just as Christ love does, that's a belief that we have, that's orthodoxy and gave himself up for us. That's orthopathy to me again. And then I love these descriptors, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's such a beauty in what Paul is trying to get across here. And so I wanna close with three questions that I also hope you discuss in home church, but there's other questions too. Um, no surprise here, they're related to the three ortho words I have been using so much. The first one is, do we believe God loves us? Um, before I get to those, and you can leave them up if you want, I just want to share churches vary. No news there. That's not what I mean to share. Churches vary and they'll have different strengths and weaknesses. I think we've been in a season where we've been looking hard at our weaknesses as a church and we need to. Um, it's also helpful to do that when things seem to be going really well. It's helpful to do that in your home church. What are your home church strengths? Where might your home church be lacking? 
And these three words, orthodoxy, orthopathy, and orthopraxy, inspired me to think about who in my life is just really good at orthodoxy? Who can I go to that their beliefs are solid? They are grounded, they are wise, they are critical thinkers, they've done the work, they've done the research. That's a gift. If you are that kind of person, that is a gift. But it's different from orthopathy. And I thought, who in my life has that right experience? Who is so in tune with the spirit? It's so obvious that they read scripture and it's alive to them. It speaks to them. They are uh, making space regularly to hear from God, to they, they don't doubt that they're loved. They're just, you know, those people that just radiate like not confidence in a, I'm so great kind of way, but confidence in a, I know who I am in God. It's like the most humble confidence. It's this beautiful, interesting twirl of ideas. But those people, you are also a gift, a deep gift to our community. And I think right now of the three, a really big gift at the meeting house as we are learning to welcome that Holy Spirit voice and live in that experience. And then there are the people who are just doing the work. They may have doubts. They may not always feel like they hear from God, but they live it anyways. And they keep going and they seek opportunities to serve and they, they benefit so many because of that. And so what I want to highlight is that these are not either ors or better or worses. These are all good and we need all of them. And so I would encourage you to think about where in your life, have you maybe leaned into one or another, or have you spent most of your life in one of them? And has that, is that whole? I think, you know, my answer to that question, but, um, to close. So these questions is, I want to ask you, do we, and I say we, because I want us to think about this as a community. And maybe you can ask this if you're with a couple of people discussing, find a friend at your home church on a Sunday morning might get busy, but who knows? Do we believe God loves us? I know people that struggle with this. Some of you will be like, yeah, I believe it. No problem. Some people might not. And so I would, I would encourage us all to be gentle as we hear from each other where we land on these, because it might not be where you land. Mm -hmm. The next one is, do we experience God's love? I know some people that tell themselves, God loves me. I know it, but I just don't feel it. Um, And I have felt that in other seasons of life, and it's very lonely. It's very lonely to have that disconnect from your head to your heart and to not really feel loved, but know that you should. And so I encourage us to be very gentle with people in those spaces. And then lastly, this one is the most challenging for me personally. Do we love God by loving others? Because Ephesians 5, it talks about walking in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. We know that God calls us to love him, but the most practical way we can do that is by loving others. And so... If you've seen the Barbie movie, you know, Ken's life is beach. And I was thinking about this and I thought our life, our job, Ken's job is beach. Our job is group. That's what I think our job could be as Christians in community. And for those of you that didn't see the Barbie movie, I just reworded what I said before, but in a Barbie way. And you could see it or not. It's got highs and lows. Um, but let's pray. Let's quote Barbie and then let's pray because that's what we do. Um, Lord, you are our Lord and we trust you and we love you. 
and we welcome your grace so abundantly. You forgive us over and over and over. And it's, it's humbling and your grace is so abundant, Lord. And we receive that. We know it, we receive it, and we want to respond by continually offering that to each other, Lord. We know you love us. We are actively receiving your love. And Lord, for those of us that are struggling to really know that, I pray that you would um, breathe confidence into their thinking and the right conversations and the right resources that help them to, to be grounded, to be intellectually grounded in belief of you and knowledge that you are an eager, eager, eager God and parent figure wanting to bestow love on us. I pray for those of us that need to feel your love, that that would be um, surprising and beautiful that, that throughout the day, today, tomorrow, this week, that you would just throw things into their paths that feel like this can be nothing other than because God loves me and I can feel that and, and rest in that. And Lord, I pray for, for all of us as we seek to live it out. We gather as community because we want to learn, but because we want to learn and then go and do. And Lord, I pray that you would give us um, boldness, courage, discernment, willingness to fail, try again, and um, camaraderie as we do that as a group. Lord, we offer this week to you. We offer this time to you. Amen.